0: let's do this let's pray we're gonna dig in um, I think we've got a chance to maybe even finish a chapter tonight because we've only got one verse left all right let's pray and we'll get started Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of coming and studying your word. God, be with me, please. Would you just guide my words? Would you help my understanding that what I would say tonight would be accurate and a true reflection of Scripture? Give me the, the wherewithal in the moments I get into personal opinion to be able to say that out loud and say this is something that I, I don't know for sure, but uh, we're trying to figure out. But God, help us tonight to be that much more in tune with your will, to be that much more committed to obeying you because we spent this time together. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're down to verse 32, which is the last verse. Here we go. Here's what it says. Although they knew God's righteous decree uh, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also to approve those who practice them. So let's let's go back and just make sure we're landing uh, chapter 1 together. So you remember chapter 1 was a conversation about the heathen. Uh it was about people who were as far away from God as they possibly could be. Their their lifestyle and behavior was completely uh irreverent about God. They were doing whatever was right in their own eyes uh and remember The Bible said, actually, the heathen are without excuse because what is obvious about God, what they should have seen about God by looking at creation, which was, does anyone remember the things that someone should have known about God by looking at creation without looking at their notes? Good. Okay. All right. So glad to see it sinking in. So um, they should have known there's somebody bigger than me. There's someone stronger than me. There's someone smarter than me. And when we say that, we mean smarter than any human I've ever met, right? There's, there's someone who's bigger than us, stronger than us, smarter than us. And rather than... Moving toward that knowledge, rather than saying, I need to go discover this God. Instead, the scripture says they went to idols, they began to worship other things in its place, knowing full well that there's no way that those idols were an answer to what they were experiencing and seeing. They were willing to substitute something else for God. This, part of why this is important, guys, is, is that there are people in this world who live in foreign lands and live in very obscure places. And you say, hey, what about them? And here's the best we understand. They have exactly what Romans 1 is talking about. They've got enough information that they should come to the conclusion. There's someone bigger than me. There's someone stronger than me. There's someone smarter than me. And what they do next becomes critical. Because if in that moment... Uh, they move away and they just say, look, I don't want anything to do with that God. I think I'm going to worship false gods. Maybe I'm going to go worship demons. I'm going to go worship some sort of spirits. In that moment, that's a critical decision because they move toward darkness. And Romans one just finished and said, the reality is they're without excuse because they had the opportunity to go in the right direction. But what you and I believe is, is that if that person, even in a distant land where that would be the darkest jungles of New Guinea or or the farthest reaches of Africa, if they in that moment said, there's got to be a creator God, there's got to be someone who's bigger than me, smarter than me, and stronger than me, and I am intrigued to figure out who he is, then what you and I believe is, is that God would answer that moment, that moment of obedience, that moment of seeking, And he would make sure that a missionary got to them to tell them the rest of the story. He would not leave someone who was seeking the light in the dark. And that the favor and the wonder and the grace of our God would make sure someone got to them. Okay? All right. So, we finished chapter 1. And we fin- yay, and we finish chapter one with this knowledge. Here's here's where Paul has taken us. And guys, the reason we're kind of walking this through and making sure that this lands is we're going to get into some chapters in Romans that people in the church have struggled with for years and years and years. And I believe that if you will actually kind of get into the head of Paul and watch the logical progression that he uses in this letter. All of a sudden, some chapters that theologians have stumbled over constantly down through the ages suddenly become crystal clear. So it's one of the reasons we're landing these early chapters really well because they're going to help us in later chapters to understand them with more clarity. So we get to the end of chapter 1. He has now condemned, convicted, found guilty, whatever word you want to use. And I, if you're taking notes, I would title chapter 1, Uh, this, and that is the conviction of the heathen or the condemnation of the heathen. I don't care how you want to frame that, but he has found the heathen guilty. He basically has said the heathen had enough information to know better. They chose instead to live godlessly and to push God completely out of their lives. Therefore, the heathen are guilty before God. Okay. Now here's what you need to know. A lot of people at this moment would say, well, of course they are. They've lived such horrible lives. I mean, stop and think about how dark, you know, some of their rituals are and think how how horrible some of the things they do and how they treat their women and, you know, the whole list. Well, of course the heathen are guilty before God. And Paul's about to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you applaud the condemnation of the heathen, there's a second group who's guilty. And that's going to begin chapter two. Okay, here we go. The second guilty group. Alright, I'll give you this and then we can watch it unfold. The second guilty group is gonna be the morally good. The second group that Paul's gonna go after are moral people. These are people who treat people nice, they do good things, overall they're maybe nice family, they're morally good people. And Paul is about to say, for all of their moralness, they're still in trouble. Because being morally good does not meet the requirement. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 2. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. So what he's, what he's doing right now is he's getting into the head of the moral person and saying, you said it's okay to condemn the heathen because you're going, well, of course, because look at all the stuff they do. And he says, whoa, 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 Mr. Moral. Before you start passing judgment on him, because he looks so much dirtier than you to you, stop and think for a minute, okay? So, therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're actually condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing, okay? So, let's ask this question. Is it okay to judge? It's okay to judge
1: actions, but
0: not judge their Okay. Right. Do we have microphone runners tonight? Yes? No? Yes? Alright. Alright. So um, all right, let's do this. Let's take a poll. How many people would say off the bat, I don't think it's okay to judge? How many would say, I think it's okay to judge? Matter of fact, I like judging. Judging's fit. All right. How many say, I'm not raising my hand because you're going to make me look foolish? All right. Okay, good. Thank you. I was just judging you, but that's okay. All right. So, um, all right. So someone who says, I don't think you should judge. Tell me why you don't think you should judge. Will someone do that? Raise your hand and say, I don't think you should judge. All right. So bring the microphone to him real quick. Are you a non-judger or are you a judger? You're a judger. All right, take the take, take the microphone away from the judger and give it to the non-judger over here. All right, non-judger, help us out. Why why shouldn't we judge? I think there's only one judge. Huh? I think there's only one judge. I think there's only one judge, and you even quoted a little scripture there, didn't you? All right, good. All right, so take it back over to the judger. Judger, tell us why we should judge.
2: I think that... Uh, in like what Paul said, as far as you know, the immoral brethren should be expelled. How would the immoral brethren be expelled from the church if no judgments were made? I think mm. that Jesus makes it very clear that He tells us how to judge in order to remove the sin from our own lives. Then we can be like Matthew seven one says. Uh, then we will be more able to pull the mote out of our brethren's eye rather than having the plank sticking out of our own eye. I think Jesus is telling us how to judge, not to be judgmental, but in order to be Christians, we have to make judgments every day. We have to uh, judge good choices over bad choices. We have to make those judgments.
0: Okay. All right. Grab your Bibles. Here we go. Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Oh, no wonder. That was Mark. All right. He's going, man, I have gone somewhere wrong. All right. Okay, there we go. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Here we go. You ready? Uh, Do not judge. How much more clear can that be? And that's in red letters. That's Jesus. Okay? Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now here's the deal. It's interesting because this passage gets used all the time to tell us that we should not judge. So I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and tell you we're supposed to judge. Okay? And when the reason we get off track on this is because this passage has been misused and abused. So let's go back and look at it again and see what it really says. Here's the interesting thing. Have you ever noticed that people who say, hey, don't judge me, are usually people that are doing something wrong. <laughs> and don't care about any other verse in the Bible besides this one. This is the one verse they know in Scripture. Don't judge me. All right. So let's go back and look and see what Jesus was really saying. Here's what he says. Do not judge Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. And here's what Jesus is saying in the moment. He's saying, hey, you've got to be really careful when you get to this moment of... Looking at, inspecting, and then putting out verdicts because you have the incredible ability to be a hypocrite in this moment if you're not careful. Okay. Let me let me see if I can give an example. Most of us would say, we have no problem telling someone who's abusing drugs not to abuse drugs, right? We, we, but we would, would, most of us would agree, probably shouldn't use drugs. And we'd have no problem saying that to someone. But you realize that in the moment you and I say to someone, hey, don't use drugs, we run the risk of being hypocritical. Why? Why does someone use drugs? Huh? Maybe it's a lack of faith. To try to solve their problems. To escape. Okay, come on, microphone. We're going to get one. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to get there. Saw a hand go up. You're going to get there. You guys were too fast. Filling a void. Filling a void. Okay, 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 okay. So ready, okay. So why did the person use drugs? They used it as an escape. To fill a void? A lack of faith? Hmm. How many times have we bought something believing it was going to fill a void? Well, I didn't do drugs. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. How many times have we in essence, done the same thing. I get it. I get that you can argue and say, well, I mean, by the time you use drugs, that's a big deal. No, 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 no. But isn't it the same issue of the heart? They're lacking something in their life and they're filling it with drugs and you and I lack something and we filled it with a beamer. And this is where Jesus says, hey, you got to be really, really careful when you begin to say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, that you aren't in some way doing a similar thing in your life. See, if I'm going to go to you and say to you, hey, I want to help you and I want to speak into you, you need to be sure you've got clean hands in that moment. If I'm going to go to somebody who uses drugs, I better be sure I wasn't drunk last Saturday night, right? And so that's all Jesus is saying. says, hey, be careful when you get ready to do this because You need to be sure that although you're going to start digging down to the reasons this person is doing this in their life, that you don't have different behaviors that have the same root cause. See, they're they're doing drugs because they don't have faith that God can take care of their problems, but you don't tithe because you don't have faith that God can pay your bills. And Jesus would say, you realize in that moment you're being a hypocrite. Because you're struggling with the same sin, you just have a different expression of it. And that's what Jesus is warning about. That we aren't just simply condemning each other over flavors of sin, when in reality, it's still the same core issue. I really don't believe God can take care of me. That's what Jesus is warning about. Okay? And then he says, and it's a really interesting illustration, he says, hey, be really, really careful that you don't try to take a speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own. And we would all come back and go, well, I don't put beams in my eye. I mean, what are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, I remember the last time I had a beam in my eye. You realize the beam is a beam of perspective. Because here's what we do. We go, you know, here's the, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know I've got that area of disobedience in my life. I know I do. I know, I know. I know the Bible says I should and I don't, you know, and whether that's language or whether that's church attendance. or what, I don't care what it is. We go, I know, I know. But here's what we would, here's how we would justify it. We'd say, but it's just a little sin. See, I mean, I'm doing all the rest of my life really right with God. I've only, you know, I've only got kind of this one area that I know. I know it's disobedient. But, I mean, if you think about it in perspective of the whole world, I mean, that's just one little sin. And Jesus says, you don't understand how sin works. That when you allow sin in your life, it comes right up into your life. And the reality is, although it's small in perspective, you realize that sin occludes everything else. Because this sin is more important to you than God. And this sin will distort every perspective of every other decision that you decide to make. And so it becomes, you ready for this? A beam in your eye. That sin is causing so much darkness, so much lack of perspective. And as long as you're willing to live with that sin, you're in no place to pull a splinter out of your brother's eye. Because the little sin... Is a beam of occlusion for you to be able to see. That's what Jesus is saying about judgment. Be sure, be sure, be sure when you come to this moment that you don't have a similar place of disbehavior and be sure you don't have a sin of reserve in your life that you're holding that's actually distorting your view as you go to your brother to say something about their sin. He's not saying don't go to your brother. He's saying, go to your brother with a pure heart and a holy life. Jump down. Matthew chapter 7, still go down to verse 15. Because now Jesus is going to tell you to judge. Okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. So same chapter. Here's what Jesus says. Watch out. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their what? Fruit. By their behavior, by what they do, you're going to know them. Okay, you will recognize them. Uh, Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or do figs come from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears what? Good fruit. Someone says, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I sin like the devil. Well, no, you're not a follower of Jesus. You may be a Christian, but you're not a follower of Jesus. You understand the difference, right? One person is saved in going to heaven. The other person is saved and obedient. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot, ready? A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. And Jesus absolutely invites you and me to be fruit inspectors. And you and I have every right to say, hey, hey, hey." I'm just telling you, you're telling me that you're a follower of Jesus, but what you're living is inconsistent with that. See, you've got a young couple and they say, hey, no, 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 we're following Jesus. And you go, but whoa, 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 you're living together. You and I have every right to challenge that and say, hey, whoa, 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 your lifestyle is inconsistent with a follower of Jesus because it's inconsistent to scripture. You and I have every right to go to somebody who, sa- who says they're a follower of Jesus and they cuss like a sailor. And to go, look, I'm just telling you, I guarantee, I guarantee Jesus did not cuss like a sailor. Matter of fact, Scripture says very clearly that no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What you're saying and how you're saying it is inconsistent with following Jesus. And you and I have every right to be a fruit inspector. Not a condemner, but a fruit inspector. So I'll tell you a little story. So back uh, back years ago, I'm 16 years old, and you know my story. My dad had left the family in... And, and when my dad left the family, my dad committed every sin out there, as far as I can tell, with the exception of homosexuality. I think he committed every other sin that a person could possibly. He just went crazy when he left our family. And I remember being 16 years old and sitting in the front seat of my dad's car. He was dropping me off after uh, one of our you know dad and son nights out. And I turned to my dad and I said, "Dad, uh, are you a Christian?" And he said, well, yeah, Lynn, I mean, why would you even ask me that? Of course I'm a Christian. And I said, Dad, here's why I'm wondering, and I'm I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm really worried because I'm watching you sin left and right, and I'm not seeing you get spanked. And Hebrews says, everyone that God regards as a child, he spanks. And if you're living in such constant sin and God is not putting you over his knee, I'm just, I'm just asking because I truly, I'm not, I'm not condemned. I just truly care and I want to know that my dad's going to heaven. Are you a Christian? And he said, well, yeah, Lynn, i put my faith in Jesus. And then I said to him, 16 year old son, I said, dad, here's my next concern. You need to consider how you're living because you're setting yourself up for a spanking. God's not going to let you keep doing this much longer. And guys, I'm just telling you, in that moment, in that night, a 16-year-old son talking to his dad, hopefully with absolute respect, was being a fruit inspector and not for the purpose of condemning my dad because I genuinely, genuinely cared about what was coming in my dad's life if he didn't figure this out. Okay? So, one last passage, real, real quick, just so you get there. Uh, you mentioned it. I love that you mentioned it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Jump on over. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is going to be the right in your Bibles. And it is another great example given by Paul that talks about this idea of having discernment and, uh, and seeing what's going on. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read it for you just real quick uh it is actually reported this is the first, the Corinthian church we may study first corinthians sometime together first corinthians, first corinthians is a great book to study because it's the most messed up church ever so you get the chance to learn from all these guys mistakes but here it is chapter 5 watch what's going on in the church in chapter 5 it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind of sexual immorality that doesn't even occur among the heathens a man has his wife his father's wife Okay, now, this isn't his mother, as best we can tell. This is probably a remarriage, but he's messing. He's having an affair with his father's wife. So, I mean, how many how many things is he violating at that point? And you're proud of it. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and go, well, wait, wait, they were proud? No, 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 because you know what they're doing? They're being that grace church. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to condemn. We're not going to say anything. We're just going to be grace-filled. And guys, you realize truth without grace is absolutely bloody, but grace without truth is absolutely leaving people to sin. And the reality is you've got to find the balance between grace and truth. Those two things have to live in the same room without excluding the other. And in this church, they've gone all grace and they've forgotten to speak truth. He says, uh, shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief that this is happening in your church? Shouldn't you have put out of fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit and I have already passed, what's the next word? Judgment. How is is Paul passing judgment? Because he's inspecting the fruit. He's saying by the time you sleep with your father's wife, you're behaving badly. I don't have to think about this very much. Okay, I've passed judgment. On the one who did this, as if I were present, when you are assembled in the same, in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit may be saved. And you know what he's saying? He's saying if this man won't repent of doing this in the church, he's flaunting his sin, send him away turn him over to Satan and say, Satan, do whatever you want to do, and hopefully Satan will kill him so the name of Jesus can still be pure. I mean, you realize that's how clearly he's saying this. He's saying, whoa, 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 this behavior does not belong in the church, so send him out of the church, okay? So all that again to say, guys, and just to say it out loud, judging is not wrong, but you and I are, are becoming, you and I are to be fruit inspectors. In other words, we're to look at actions and say, those actions don't line up with scripture. What we can never judge is the heart. See, I have no right to say to you, you know, the only reason you did that is because you're bitter. The only reason you did that is because you're jealous. I don't know that. I can never judge the heart, right? I have no right to judge the heart. And I have no right to ever throw anybody away. In other words, I have no right to say you're of no value to God. Because God said something different. All of us are of value to God. But what I am to do is inspect fruit. And I am to say, hey, wait a minute. What you're doing does not line up with Scripture. What you're doing is disobedient. Okay? Fruit inspecting is okay. Passing condemnations not. All right. Back to the passage. Questions at all? Because I know I just opened a can of worms. Anybody mad at me? Okay, bring the microphone. One person is mad at me. No, I'm teasing. I know you're not. All right, bring the microphone. Right up here on the front. Run, baby, run. You're going to get your workout. Do you have your Fitbit on? No? Okay, all right. Because you would get lots of credit for this. Okay, all right.
1: A couple weeks ago, you uh, were talking about uh, not defending your faith, but explaining your faith. Is this tie in with that?
0: Yeah, I think, I think this ties into that really, really well because, you know, there's, there's the potential when I'm a battleship that I make my faith something to beat people up with. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about beating people up with the truth. Matter of fact, it's a great moment. I think Jesus says, hey, if you tend to be a kind of a battleship Christian, you need to figure out salt. You need to figure out how to season your conversation that instead of beating people up with the truth, you explain the truth to people. You help them understand why God said it. But the other side of it is you can't be that cruise ship type of a Christian that says, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to say anything to Alice. No, 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 no. It'd be very judgmental of me to say anything. to If you never bring the truth, then nobody ever has anything to repent from. Let me say that again. If you never speak the truth, then nobody ever has anything to repent from. And repentance isn't a bad... Repentance is a good thing, you're right. Repentance is simply turning away from my sin and choosing to follow God for the first time. That's repentance. So I've got to be willing to speak the truth in love. I've got to be willing to say, hey, if you keep living that way, it ends badly. It leads to discipline. You'll never be happy living that type of lifestyle. Yep. Can you put
1: that in the context of 1 Corinthians 5.12?
0: 1 Corinthians 5.12, let's see. And what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are they not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked man uh, from you. Yeah, all he's saying here is at this point... um, There's a different level of responding to those who are in the church versus those out of the church. So the 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 quickest way I can do that without us spending a ton of time, and if you want to spend more time, we'll talk afterwards. Here's the quickest way that can help you. It's what Jesus said when he prayed and said, hey, take my disciples, keep them from the world, but don't take them out of the world. And what he's saying is, hey, there's a certain way that Christians are supposed to behave because you've now decided to be a follower of Jesus. But I don't expect that of people who don't know Jesus. And that's all Paul is saying right here in this passage. He's saying, look, you need to be giving judgment and, and things about how Christians are to behave. But you realize that same set of rules doesn't necessarily apply to a non-Christian. Right? How do you expect a non-Christian to act? Like a non-Christian. I just it's a simple answer. I, I'm not going to sit around all day saying to a non-Christian, hey, you shouldn't watch that TV show. What good is that for me to do that with a non-Christian, right? They don't even know Jesus. They're not even thinking about right? That's a non-Christian. How do you expect a non-Christian? I expect a non-Christian to act like a non-Christian. I'm probably not going to say to a non-Christian, hey, don't sleep with your girlfriend. Why? Because they're a non-Christian. I, they don't have a really... They're not committed to following Jesus. I mean, who cares, right? They're a non- How do you expect a person who doesn't know Jesus to act? Like a person who doesn't know Jesus, And I'm not going to spend all my time, and he's just saying, don't focus on trying to tell non-Christians how to behave like Christians. It's a losing battle. It doesn't do any good for anybody. Help Christians behave like Christians. And help non-Christians become Christians. And then you can help them behave like Christians. Does that make sense? But don't, don't go I mean, if you don't know Jesus, well, you probably do get drunk every Friday. That's probably what you do because you don't know Jesus, right? I'm not going to ask non Christians to behave like Christians. And that's what he's saying. I'm not going to judge people outside the church. I'm not going to call people outside the church to live like they're in the church. That's what he's saying. Good question, though. I love that you caught that passage. All right, we're good? We love Jesus. We kind of like me. All right, all right, let's go back to Romans. Here we go. All right, Romans chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, here we go. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment. Remember, he's talking to moral people who are passing judgment on the heathens, okay? Uh, you are no excuse. Whoever you point to judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So then, you are mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment, or do you show uh, contempt for the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience? And look at this phrase, because I think it's really powerful. Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. What does that mean? God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Anyone want to take a stab at that? Raise your hand so these guys can see. If you, anyone want to take a stab at that? No? All right, maybe over here. Well, I
2: think what he's saying there is that it's really the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. I I think that a lot of people focus on the fire and brimstone of hell and that, Mm that that's supposed to compel people to the cross. But I think that what he's saying there is that it's God's goodness, it's his mercy that leads men to repent in their heart.
1: Hmm. Okay. I just want to add that the Bible says God's yoke is, is, is easy. So I was saying that when God has his yoke on us, leading us the right way, it's leading us to a way that we're comfortable. Hmm. That the, the yoke or the oxen tend to follow the yoke of the Lord or the farm
0: who's behind them. Okay. We got one back there, real quick.
2: Um
1: once you become you know your father, you don't want to disappoint him and you want to live more his way. Yeah. So you tend to work your hardest to keep that relationship.
0: Yeah. All right. Any, anybody, oh, one more. The Holy Spirit will start to convict them Mm -hmm. and it's, and it will draw the things out throughout their life. All right. So I love what you just said. The Holy Spirit will begin to convict and start drawing things out. Have you ever had a moment when God was good to you and because he was good to you, you actually felt convicted? Because that what it just says. It says the goodness of God actually leads to repentance. You ever had a moment like that? Anybody? I have. You know when I've had that moment? When I knew in my heart that I wasn't behaving right. And yet in the moment when I was sinning and doing the wrong thing, God actually blessed me. You ever had a moment like that? How did I get a new car? How did I get a raise? Whoa, 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 what? Why is God being good to me? Because I know in my heart, I really deserve a spanking, right? And in the midst of that moment, all of a sudden, God's being good to me. Grace. Well, there you go. So here's what I'm just going to say. I'm going to say what I think we're unpacking here is the fact that, remember, God is our parent. God treats us like a father. And guys, I'm just going to say this to you. Fathers, this is a great tool sometimes. Sometimes one of the best things you can do to discipline a child is actually be kind to them when they know they deserve a spanking, when they know they deserve punishment. But it depends on the child. You get this, right? Because some children would exploit the moment and go, oh, apparently I can sin and just get away with it. And, you know, dad does good stuff, right? Well, if you do that, then what's plan B for dad? Okay, I got to bring out the paddle. So uh, here's the thing I would just encourage you in tonight. If you're a Christian and you go, you know what? I know I haven't been living the way that I need to live and yet my life is really blessed. Let me, let's read the passage again. You ready? And do not show contempt for the riches of God's kindness. If you know you're living in sin, and yet God is blessing you, and you decide to keep living in sin anyway, Wouldn't that be showing contempt for God's kindness to you? Not realizing that God's kindness is meant to lead you toward repentance. See, you were supposed to, in that moment when you knew you were doing the wrong thing, but God still was good to you and kind to you, it was supposed to prick your heart and you were supposed to go, God, I don't deserve this. I need to repent. Of the thing I'm doing wrong. Because God's blessing me. Even though I'm living like an idiot right now. And if you don't. If you show contempt in that moment. If you go. hey, Well hey apparently God's just kind of dense. And he just keeps blessing me. Even though I don't deserve it. I think I'll just keep it up as long as I can. What's God left to do next? Spank. See if you're going to show contempt. For the kindness of God. Then you push the other button and then God goes, okay, so I guess I guess we're going to do this the hard way, right? I guess I'm going to put you over my knee and I'm going to spank you till you cry, uncle. That's what he means when he says, be careful. Be careful in the moments of your life when God's doing good things for you and you look at yourself and you go, boy, I know I don't deserve it because I'm living in a way I shouldn't live. That ought to leave you to repentance. That ought to be a moment where you go, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your blessing in my life because I know I don't deserve it and I know I've been wrong and I want to ask you to forgive me for what I've been doing, for what I've been watching, for how I've been behaving because, man, I don't want to go to the other stage. I don't, I don't want this be, to become a discipline moment in my life. I don't want to show contempt for your goodness. Okay, question. Yep? Uh,
2: not, not a question, just a comment. On that. Okay. Um, I found myself in a situation and the one thing that comes to mind mostly is Great humility. Was what? Great humility.
0: Great humility. And there's, that's the right answer. See, that's the right answer. Is when when I know I'm not living like I should and God gives me favor or blessing, it should cause instant humility. And that humility should get me on my knees to repentance. That's the right response. I should, I should respond by saying, God, I'm sorry. I know I've been lying. I know I was cheating. I know I've been watching things on TV. I shouldn't watch I know, I know, I know. I know and you get it cleaned up cuz you go god I, I don't deserve the favor of the blessing you're giving me right now and i don't want to i don't want to push us to the other part of this conversation too many christians take advantage of this moment when god is being good when they're being disobedient and then they get really angry when god finally spanks well god you didn't spank me the other time well no because my goodness was supposed to lead you to repentance you had contempt for my goodness. You didn't care about my goodness, and now we're trying Plan B. And now I'm. Now we're going to spanking. So don't get all mad at me. You're the one that pushed the button. That's what it's saying. Okay. All right. Good stuff. All right. Back to the passage. Verse five. What are we doing on time? I got an hour and a half left. Right. Oh, I got to watch. Wait a minute. Okay. What time do we quit? In 20 minutes. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Uh, verse five. But because of your stubbornness, what did we just say? God was being good. You knew you were being wrong, but you took advantage of it anyways. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath. So here's the deal. Look, look, look. I can't believe how many Christians I went to that go, oh, no, no. I know I'm not doing right. I know I'm disobeying. And you go, you don't think God's keeping score? You, you think that God is like too busy to notice and you're just gonna keep doing and how many are moms and dads? Okay. Moms and dads. How many of you ever had this moment, okay? You're, you're at home with your kids, it's on the weekend and they're, they're off messing around in the bedroom doing something that they're not supposed to do. You walk by and you just go, man, I am too tired to take care of that right now. About an hour and a half later you walk by and they're fighting and fussing again and they're treating their brother the way they shouldn't treat their brother and they me- and you walk and you go, oh man, Drum. Now it's three in the afternoon and they're back there squabbling again about something and they're throwing the game board on the ground and you're going, oh, 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 oh. now it's five o'clock. And they're back there, rah, rah. and now you're fed up, right? You're fed up. And you go walking back in the room and it's like, rah. Why? Because your kids have stored up wrath all day. That's what they did. I mean, they've stored up wrath and here's what they thought. They thought every time you walked by the room, you didn't notice, but you noticed, didn't you? You were just hoping they'd straighten up themselves without you having to intervene. But the truth is you noticed. How crazy is it for us as Christians to go, oh no, I know I'm living wrong, I know, I know, but God hasn't done anything yet. I don't think He notices. He notices! And right here is saying, guys, you keep, you keep doing that. You keep behaving that way. You keep taking advantage of the grace of God given to you right now. You're only storing up wrath. Do you understand the size of that spanking? If you keep doing that, And I'm just going to say, guys, I, you know, I, I, and I wouldn't know, but if you're in this room tonight and you're living out a part of your life in disobedience to God and you've been flippant and frivolous about it and you're going, well, I, you know, apparently uh, it's not a big deal to God because he hasn't done anything yet. Or apparently he doesn't. Guys, do you realize how silly that answer is? That the God of the universe doesn't notice and doesn't know and is going to let you outwit him and get away with that. And he says, guys, 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 don't take advantage. Don't despise the goodness and the kindness of God. The fact that he didn't spank you every time you deserved it. But if you keep taking that for granted, if you keep behaving in that sense, you realize you're just storing up, you're just, you're just building up the paycheck that's going to have to be paid. Verse six. God will give to each person according to what he's done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek good and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good first to the Jew and then to the Gentile for God does not show favoritism and then you ready verse 12 for all who sin apart from the law will be um, <clears throat> apart from the law will also perish apart from the law here's what that means real quickly if you were a good moral person but you didn't have the scripture In other words, you were probably a Gentile and you don't have the Scripture, then the Bible says, look, you're not going to be held accountable for everything that's in Scripture because you didn't have it. You didn't know that was the rule. You didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. So you're not going to be judged according to law because you didn't have the law. Okay? Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So here's the other part though he says, if you knew what you were supposed to do and then chose not to do it, you realize you actually receive a greater judgment because you knew what was right and wrong and then you decided to do the wrong thing, which makes you even more accountable Does that make sense? If you know, matter of fact, um, James chapter 4. Go with me real quick. Super quick. James chapter 4. Almost to the back of your Bible if you're not familiar. James chapter 4. Verse 17. You ready? Anyone then... Who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it. What's the next word? Sins. So if I know what I should be doing and I simply decide to veto God or say, God, well, you know, I, I don't think I would have made that rule or I don't, I, I, I just don't appreciate that rule at all. And so I'm just going to, you know, uh, ignore it. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Which means if you say, hey, you know what, I I, I know that someone needs to tell that person what just happened, but I don't want to be a tattletale. Well, no, no, no. If you know what you ought to do and don't do it, that's sin. Because there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Not doing what I should do. Back to the passage. Romans chapter 2. Verse 12 again, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law... Now watch this, this is the important part of the passage. Indeed, if Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law... They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Okay, here's what he's saying. If you think you're going to get to heaven by being a moral person your conscience knows better because your conscience knows there were things you should have done that you didn't do. And if there are things you should have done that you didn't do, that's sin. And so he just said to you and me, the moral person, by the very fact that they're moral and they know they haven't been moral in all things, has already condemned themselves. And Paul just took us to the place that says the heathen were in trouble. But all of you that were applauding and going, yeah, because they're such crummy people. You knew what you were supposed to do because you're a moral person. But you know you didn't do it all. Therefore, you just condemned yourself, oh moral person. And you're in trouble too. It's interesting because... Paul has now taken us and said, hey, all of those who are far away from God and ran away from God, those people are in trouble. All of those people who were trying to be nice people but didn't do the things they knew were nice are in trouble. And when we come back next week, he's going to turn to the Jew and he's going to say, you're in trouble too. Because you realize the Jew all through this been going, yeah, those heathens, man. Boy, they're a mess. And now he's been saying, yeah, all of those moral Romans and all of those moral Greeks who were nice people, yeah, I can see why God wouldn't let them into heaven. And now God's going to come back to the Jew, and he's going to say, and Jews are in trouble too. Because the answer at the end of the day is going to be guess how many people need a Savior? All of us. All of us are going to end up needing a Savior. And that's where he's going to get us by the end of chapter 2. Okay. Questions real quick? Because it's a good place to stop. We just got the good people going to the wrong place. Yeah. All right. Microphone, microphone, microphone. All right. There we go.
2: I need some clarity. You were talking about Christians that are walking in obedience and Christians that were not walking in obedience. So are both, are both groups going to heaven? Yes. Yes. So what's, I just, I feel, feel fuzzy in this. Okay. I mean, I agree with you. We need to
0: walk in obedience, but let's sort it out for me. None, so let's, let's say it out loud. None of us walks perfectly in obedience, right? So we want to and we try to, but none of us walks perfectly in obedience. No, but there, there are Christians, and I think the important kind of question that comes up here is, which way is my face? Because you and I have all met Christians who say, hey, I asked Jesus in my heart. But you know what I've decided since then? I'm going to live life my way. Right? And we've all met those Christians. We've kind of talked a little bit about what happens to those Christians. There may be a season in which God shows them grace and doesn't spank them. And you and I, some of us who are a little bit more truth-oriented, would go dude, God, spank them now. I mean, they deserve it, right? Spank away, spank away, right? And, and yet God shows grace and says, no, 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 I'm actually going to be kind because I'm hoping my kindness brings them to a place of repentance and conviction in their heart. That they would sit in the quietness of their bedroom or driving their car alone and would go, man, God's been so good to me and I know I don't deserve it. I need to repent, okay? But if you're a Christian and you keep abusing that and keep going your own way, then the next phase is probably spanking. It's exactly what I was talking to my dad about. It's a 16-year-old boy in that car. Hey, dad, you say you're a Christian. I see you living so horribly. How come God's not spanking you yet? Okay? So we, there are Christians that live their life this direction. Okay? And that's also who 1 uh, Corinthians was talking about. Here we've got a Christian in the church. They're sleeping with their own mom. We'll come right back. So then there are Christians who are living this way and saying, I may not be perfect. I'm not doing everything right, but I am absolutely committed to obeying Jesus. Here's the difference. You guys have heard us talk about um, selective believers and mature believers, right? Selective believers are people who say, I'm going to pick and choose which parts of the Bible I want to obey. That is not a mature believer. That's a selfish believer. That's a self-living believer. When you decide you can trump God's commands and live how you want to believe, you're a selective believer. A mature believer says, I'm done arguing with God. Everything God says about how I should behave is right. I may not be living it to a full, to 100%, but I'm committed to living it. I'm doing my best to live it, and I'm not arguing with God about it. Does that make sense? So if God says... Be faithful in your church attendance. I'm not arguing with God about that. God said it. I'm committed to trying to do that in my life. Okay. Question here. Yep. Yeah.
1: So are you saying that if you continue to sin and you don't repent, you're still going to heaven? Yes. All right? Yes. How do you explain, how do you explain verse uh, Hebrews 10, 26, where it says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins.
0: Yeah. And I believe what it's talking about there is not necessarily a Christian who goes on sinning after. It's a person who's rejected the truth. It's a person who heard the truth and then said, I don't want to do that. And I'm going to continue to live in the lifestyle of sinfulness. And he says, hey, then you're never under the blood. You, there is the no.
1: context of it is for Christians who are believers who actually said." Rece- uh, willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth and you go uh, no longer remain a sacrifice for your sin meaning that you accepted the Lord, you came to know the Lord, you became a believer and then you started sinning and you wanted you did not want to repent
0: See I don't think that's what I don't know that it, when it says there that I received the knowledge of the truth In other words I think receiving the knowledge of the truth can be that the gospel was preached to me. There's people who come into this church all the time and they hear the gospel so they've received the knowledge of the truth but haven't chosen to live the truth.
1: He wouldn't, uh, this wouldn't apply to a non-believer because the non-believer is unsaved anyway. He is talking to a believer.
0: So I'll tell you what, so you and I will work through that as soon as we're done. We'll do that. Yep. I think you can live any
1: kind of life you want, whether you're walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord, but the bottom line is God knows. He knows your heart. Period. and you can pardon expression, you can I won't even say it you can
2: fool the truth
1: but God knows the truth
0: yeah. and
1: it's time for that day when you got a chance to be called home there isn't going to be any doubt
0: you know, so the easiest way and we'll end it with this one and then we'll done down because it's time the easiest way to, to get through this is is that Scripture is really, really, really clear that if a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they become the Son of God. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, he gave them the rights to become the sons of God. Uh, Over and over and over again in Scripture, it says, once I become a child of God, it's impossible to lose sonship. Okay, That uh, height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nothing can keep me ...from being a child of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says that when you became a Christian... ...you were sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing heaven. Period. So when you become a child of God, it's a permanent action. In the same way, and this is the easiest way for me to help you maybe get there. If you have a child of your own... ...and anybody ever had a rebellious child... ...and that that child does something wrong... How many sins does your child have to commit in order not to be your child anymore? If you had a daughter, let's go even further. Let's say you have a daughter. She's 15 years old. She uh, walks into the house one day. She announces to you she's in love with Krug. Uh, Krug is a member of a motorcycle gang. And uh, she hops on the back of his motorcycle and she drives off into the sunset with Krug. And everything you ever nightmared about as a parent that your child would do, she does. Uh, She goes out. She gets pregnant by Krug. Uh, Krug eventually passes her around to the rest of the motorcycle gang. Uh, They do drugs together. She becomes a prostitute. On which day does she stop being your daughter? And you're telling me your heavenly father treats you different than that. It's exactly why God, when he tells us the story of the prodigal son, remember when the prodigal son went away? Where was God? Standing on the road waiting for his son to come home. Okay? So once I'm a Christian, I'm always a Christian. Um, because, again, which, which sin would be bad enough or how many sins would it take to stop being God's child? Exactly the same number it would take to stop your human child from being your child. There is no number to that. But, just like a human father, if I sin once I've come to know Jesus, good human fathers spank their children. Okay? Just, I don't care what culture says. Good human fathers spank their children when their children are wrong. And whether that spanking is grounding or taking away their Apple phone, I don't know. But good human fathers spank their children because they love their children. Okay? And that's what God does to us, too. Okay? Totally cool, guys. Let's pray, and we'll be done. Dear, heavenly Father, we come to you in the moment. And we just thank you so much tonight for the opportunity to study your word and to delve into it. God, lead us into greater and greater truth and understanding. And uh, Lord, would you bless each of us for having spent this night uh, digging deeper and just pursuing your mind. Bring us back again, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys. It was good.